one. This is Masonic Muscle episode 20. And today's guest is Jim Ridley, District Inspector, uh, 830th District. And he has been serving the Grand Lodge of California in that capacity for 10 years now. Uh, Jim, nine, 10 years? Oh, nine years. Yes. Nine years. His, he's, his term, he's termed out. We're about to get a new district inspector. We're just waiting on that finalization. But Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Caesar. I'm glad to be here today. I uh, hope I can put some kind, have some kind of input that may help you somewhere along the line. Well, not just me, but all the listeners. Hopefully, as this show continues to get, uh, you know, older and more, more and more episodes, we have more and more listeners. But can you start us off? Let's get right into it and start us off by reading something that you wanted to share with, with uh, the listeners. Let me let me go get a little intro into that first. The reason I got into that is because I see people doing things that and saying things that I didn't feel like to, I was comfortable with, I should say. And to me, that's something that I needed to spread out. So I, I do articles for the Shrine, for the El Bacallion Shrine. I do articles uh, for the Scottish Rite uh, Bulletin. So I felt like I need to start bringing everybody back to basics. And when, when I first became master, my, uh, my theme for two years was we were back to the quarries. That was my theme. That's what we learned to do. So, and and the things that I noticed was had to do with some, one of the, the uh, lectures in the first degree, and especially to relieve the distress is a duty incumbent upon all men, but particularly on Masons who are linked together by an indissoluble chain of sincere affection, to soothe the unhappy, to sympathize with their misfortunes, to compassionate their miseries, miseries, and to restore peace to their troubled minds is the great aim we have in view. On this basis, we form our friendships and establish our connections. Truth is a divine attribute and a foundation to every virtue. And to me, that a lot of people have just missed that part of their Masonic lessons. Uh, this is the first thing we're taught in masonry, brotherly love, relief, and truth. Truth. If we don't have that, and it goes on to say that truth is a, is a divine attribute and the foundation of every virtue. So in other words, you, can't, you don't have any other virtues that's worth a damn for anything if you don't have that foundation. And it's right in our cipher. It tells us. Right there, the lecture tells us that is should be our foundation. And I believe that 100%. And when you go back and reread that to soothe the unhappy, to sympathize with their misfortunes, to compassionate their miseries, and to restore peace to their troubled minds is the great aim we have in view. I mean, isn't that what's going on right now with, with the pandemic and uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, unhappy people misfortunes happening, um, miseries, oh. it just falls right into what you just said right now. And now more than ever, the fraternity should be reaching out in that way in more ways than one, not just money, monetary, but you know, uh, on the, on the, on that triple layer. Oh, money means absolutely nothing to a person that, that has his troubled mind. Uh, you know, you, you going, you can get over money issues. You may get your car repossessed. You may get 
thrown out of your house, but you'll get another car, you'll get another house. But until you until you have your peace of mind restored, and the only thing that can do that is people telling you the truth and facing the truth. And that that's when you really become a good Mason and a good person, period. I, I like I, I was telling you earlier, I believe that this part of the lecture pertains to men, women, children, uh, either, no matter what color, what race, whatever they are, if, if they have, a, have an, it's an intelligent being, this is one of the best attributes that you have to have for that foundation. In my last interview, I believe, with uh, Vic Ropak, uh, he got into masonry as work. He kept mentioning that. And like before, as we were getting ready and we were just having a discussion, and I kept telling him, stop, stop. Some of the stuff we, we got to have, you know, for, you know, for, for the interview, you know, you're just, you're, yeah. you're spitting out knowledge. But he kept mentioning that masonry is hard work. And what that is right there, what you just read off, that takes a lot of work too, because everyone's busy with their lives. And, you know, we yeah. just find ourselves with no time for anything. That's what it seems like. But then when you stop and then you begin to, to, uh, really meditate and contemplate the situation you you realize holy smokes i'm not the only one so why don't i start helping uh, one of the things you know you you mentioned the pandemic earlier one of the things that actually there's some good things that came out of the pandemic by the way uh as you know we we didn't know what zoom was we thought it was some kids game or something had no idea but it's helped us get through the thing but i tell you one thing that's really happened it's it's made people stop and look at things. And this is some of the things that we should be looking at. I, uh, their lives would not have changed to the better if they had not had taken the time stock. Most people up in full daylight, gone to work, get back in, both the husband and wife, kids are gone, everybody's gone, everybody. And now all of a sudden we have time to stop and think we don't have to be going to, to three meetings a night. We're at home. And that changed a lot of people's lives. Caesar really changed a lot of people. And uh, whether they believe it or not, they've made it, it forced everybody to stop and start thinking about things. And this is why I do these kind of stuff in my articles, simply because I, when people stop to think, I want them to stop and think and start thinking about the correct things to think about, not create other things that doesn't matter. So one of the things you wanted to, uh, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about was mental survival and the way this, uh, the pandemic hit and the news and everything that's just, you know, bombarding us, it's really having a, a psychological and an emotional uh, effect on us. And because if you're active in a lodge and you're watching a group of men, like, you know, working together with the group of men, like we are at lodge, you, you get to see the effects it has on everybody differently. So when you talk about mental survival, what are you referring to? Uh, what I'm referring to is to go back to your basics of things, uh, basic things of your life. Uh, make, try to concentrate on those things. That's the basic things. Because if, if you're always telling the truth and people are telling you the truth, if people are working with you, doing things with you, then you're going to stay up. Like, I mean, one of the things that came out of this, uh, out of the pandemic was this podcast. 
I mean, right. come on, guys. Right. I mean, uh, how, how much better could things be than something positive come out of something that was so negative? And I'm not so I'm not a conspiracy theorist by a long shot, but I don't I'm not so sure that it's uh, a lot of this is has been uh, construed by other people to control people, and I think Masons by heart do are not going to be controlled mentally. They're gonna they're gonna we're gonna stand together. We're gonna talk to each other. We're gonna work with each other. We're gonna when you fall over, I'm gonna catch you. When I fall over, you, you're going to catch me. And, and I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about mentally. You know, how many times, you know, have you come to me that I need help? How many times have I come to you and said, Caesar, we, I need to help with this and do this. And guess what? We jump right in and done it. And not only we do that with just for us two, but uh, we do it for a lot of other people. A lot of people. And especially your family, you do it first for your family. So that's why I'm talking about surviving mentally, you know, be prepared for, you know, these so-called disasters, you know, which I, I, I didn't, I didn't just, I didn't consider it a disaster. I, I'm telling you last summer, I, I spent three months in Alabama working on my car, my antique cars that are shot there. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I hadn't hadn't got anything wrong. I, I but I'm taking precautions. You know, obviously, I you know if I I didn't go out and eat a lot, you know things like that. We got we have a house and a kitchen and a shop right, right there at our shop. So you know I stayed there a lot. But I didn't I didn't let it I didn't let the pandemic I didn't let it scare me enough to where I'm going to stay and just shut down and not do anything. You, you mentioned uh, you're not a conspiracy theorist or, or anything, but within Freemasonry, there's, you know, it's, Freemasonry is already a very controversial, you know, subject for a lot of people. And with that comes, you know, conspiracy theories and, and whether it includes Freemasonry or not. What, what is your favorite conspiracy theory, you know, when it comes to Freemasonry and why? Why not, not, not in a joking way, something that you said, whoa. That really, you know, piques my interest. I wonder if there's more to it. Well, I believe there is a, a lot more to a lot of the conspiracy theories that's out there. And if you go, if you do like we've been, like we were, we were doing the cipher and you break it down and you look at the things and you actually try to find the truth and what people are saying, then there is some truth in some of the conspiracies. Hmm. Um, the, you know, there's, the funniest one probably is, is, you know, Masons are taking over, trying to take over the world. Well, you know, all, we're trying to take over ourselves. And, you know, we're trying to uh, make sure that we're the right kind of people. And, and we will take over the world if we do what we're supposed to be doing <laughs> ourselves. Yeah. I mean, we will. It spreads. You know, look at your family. You know, look at my family. Uh, what I've done and I've taught them maybe directly or indirectly or somehow, you know, one way or another, your family picks up on what you do. And if you're doing the right thing, guess what? You're, you, that's going to go out and that's going to transfer out into the world. So that's part of that conspiracy theory. That is true. <laughs> and <clears throat> That's a more uh, practical and logical way of looking at it, because when you look at it that way, 
your mind opens up to be able to absorb some of the other stuff, things that are being said, but again, in a more practical, logical way, not so much like, oh my God, the world's going to end, but like, that's human nature. It's human nature to do some of these things. It's human nature uh, to rise up against things when it gets too hard. Like, like now we're seeing, right, uh, the possibility of another shutdown and people have been rising up because we, we're thinking for ourselves. We're, we're wondering what's going on. We're feeling like we're not being told the truth. And you just said, we just talked about truth a little while ago. And so these people are in positions of power that we voted them into. <laughs> and now we're not exactly getting the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help them God. And, and here we are. So conspiracy theories tend to begin to crop up when there's lack of truth and information. And, and what was wrong with that? It, it worked in 1775. <laughs> I mean, what, you know, what's, so what's wrong with, you know, question. One of the things that I, no matter whether it's something positive or negative, or if we do something really good in our company uh, or really bad, either way or something, it, 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 it really in the middle. I ask why. I have the question I always ask why. Why do why do we need to tell the truth? Why do we need to you know to do this podcast? Why do people need to listen to the things that we're talking about? Uh, and and then we, when you answer those things to yourself, then you realize, okay, I'm doing something positive, or maybe I'm doing something negative that I shouldn't be doing. And then so you so you change your you know your direction because you, of that because you ask why you, and you have to ask why and that's the founding fathers that's what they were doing and you mentioned 1775 1776 and a whole you know the the people were unsatisfied and they kept asking why and after all of the measures were taken for redress when they had no other option they they had to go and fight for their rights now so that's 1776. How far back does your family go here in the United States, Jim? Uh, my family goes back into the uh, early 1800s. Uh, we they came from Ireland, uh, and uh, the Irish were really not really accepted, so they wound up going to the parts of the country that really was... Uh, you really couldn't live in it was just basically mountains and trails and stuff but there was bottom land what we what we call bottom land which is a valley a flat valley which means which is there's that way you can raise food you could raise potatoes uh you could raise corn my family's had got a corn a strain of corn that they've had that i know of for about 160 years that i know of and still, and every year they put the corn seed back, put it in the corn crib, plant that same corn the following year. They've done that for 160 years that I know of. So it goes back a long ways. My history goes back a long way. But I come from, a, you know, my family was, we were from in the mountains. We didn't, we didn't have anything. Uh, my father went into, in, in the service and uh, they, uh, then after that, he started having things, and then and then he became a mason when he came home. And uh, fortunately, he had a fellow that sponsored him, that he knew, and 
nation that says, well, you need to get out of these mountains. You need to get somewhere where you can make a living, feed your family better, you know? <laughs> so they did. They did. They moved to a big city of Greenville, South Carolina, which, uh, which was big for us then, back in the early 50s. So. And your father was a World War II veteran? Yes. Yeah, he was. He served in the Army uh, not long. Uh, he got he got out pretty pretty quick, uh, but he came back with a different attitude, like like most men did. They've never seen, you know, jeeps. They've never seen airplanes. They've never seen, you know, all the things. I mean, my grandfather went from uh, you know a horse and buggy to a car to airplane to see the moon the guys land on the moon supposedly but i don't know if that's conspiracy or not but i've been, I've been debating that lately but uh, anyway uh when you when you look back at that that's a lot of history a lot of things but my my dad was a shriner a mason and a shriner and we probably back then everybody was they worked together they supported each other and uh the chief of police in the little city we lived in was mason they, they went to lodge with my dad all the police officers went to lodge with my dad they were all in the in the parades had shriner motorcycles and stuff all of them they'd all done the same thing so uh that helped a lot in in his business so he had the support behind him so you become a you become a mason and for right now for the last nine years you've been a district inspector and i'm pretty sure you've seen a big change in the way freemasonry is moving in a direction that it's moving so let's bring it back to the present right because freemasonry back then was being practiced just a little bit differently and they had a different concept of where it came from or what it was and now that we're here with the advent of the internet and books being so readily available, uh, we we can get an education far better than what we could back then. But you've seen this massive change in Freemasonry. What has, as a district inspector and dealing with lodges and individual members like myself, what has been some of the biggest problems you see keeping us from taking this to the next level as far as Freemasonry and what it should be? I think that the biggest issue I have is, and I keep trying to bring it to everybody's attention is uh, they just don't use all their resources that they have. And I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about, you know, the financial situation of the lodge. I'm not talking about the building itself. I'm talking about the resources of the people and, and the other thing is, is I believe that you, the first resource is within yourself. You have a resource of your, with yourself between your ears. You have your, that's where everybody should start and go back to the basic Masonic things that we're supposed to learn and probably didn't. Uh, so if you do that and you use the resources you have correctly, because if you look at something, think about something. Uh, King Solomon, when he uh, when he built the temple, uh, what did he do? What was the first thing he done when Hiram Attire said, "I want to be a part of this"? And what did King Solomon do? 
Well, he reached out to him and said, come on, let's, let's do this. Let's get together and plan this out. And he said, he said, I also need a, a man that can, that uh, an architect and that's well-skilled in the arts and sciences. So what did he, he started doing? He started surrounding himself. Yeah, he used his resources. With his resources. Yes. So what did he, how did he do this? How did he trade? How did he, where did he get all the, you know, the resources to, for all the, the timbers that were shipped? Uh, where did he get all the resources for the stones that, you know, where did he get all the resources for the, you know, the uh, entered apprentices out there, you know, uh, chipping away at stones, trying to make them square for the building. Uh, where did he get all his resources? He surrounded himself with good people. And he done uh, exactly like some of the high tech companies do. They get young people. It's not, they're not used to making a lot of money, but give them a big promise and they deliver. When they, when they do something really well, like, like the computer we're looking at, Dell computers, those people started out doing that, you know, 30 years ago, didn't have anything. They were just fresh out of college, didn't know anything, didn't know, didn't know they could make any money. Now they're all of them are multimillionaires. Same way with hiring a tire. King Solomon said, I'll give you 21 cities. Hmm. We're done. This, this, that will be your kingdom. That was his payment. Yeah, that was his payment. Now, Hiram Tire got a little upset because the cities he chose were a little run down and had problems with them, but they had, he had also planned on fixing them up with Hiram Abyss to go through each city and rebuild a city to where they're thriving cities using the three of them. And you're right. talking about, uh, excuse me, Jim, but you're talking about finances and, and how to pay off. That's a good point. Again, there's something that we very rarely go go over in a lodge when we're talking about the three degrees of masonry, King Solomon, King Solomon's temple, because just like I've been saying in the other, in the previous podcast, if you really sit down and think about it, um, what a Mason is supposed to be doing symbolically, right? Symbolically within the lodge room is what we're symbolically in the process of building King Solomon's temple. And so doesn't it make sense that we begin to learn in a lodge, like exactly what you're talking, all these little details, yeah. All, all these little, uh, they're not little, actually, they're big because they have big lessons to teach. Like, how did he pay these guys? How did he organize all this stuff? Yeah, even though he asked God for wisdom, right? He asked God for wisdom, to have wisdom, to be able to rule over his people, Israel. Still, he gathered all his resources and then he went forward. So you mentioned here that you wanted to talk about uh, finances, too financial improvements so in connection to that let's talk about financial improvements something that you wanted to talk about well i think uh i think this, this the pandemic has helped a lot of people and it's hurt a lot of people but the people that hurt didn't pool their resources and that's what i'm saying about the lodges pull your resources together and uh then you can figure out how you need to what you need to financially go to have the things uh we didn't, we were sitting around, didn't have him doing a lot last year. And we decided we was going to, my son was wanted to, uh, we we're going to look at that uh, general contractor. And, and uh, so we found out he could, we could get a license in 17 states, a general contractor's license. And uh, he, so from sitting around thinking about it, just stopping 
and thinking about things. We come up with the idea, okay, let's let's become a let's take this in to be a FEMA contractor. When hurricane hits, we're already set up as a FEMA contractor in 17 states. It's just it was it just comes from sitting around a table like we're talking right now and thinking about things and figuring out the best way to do things. How can you do it? And what can you do and how do you do it? So I was, I went to back to back East and I started figuring out what we needed to do. I, you know, surrounded myself with the resources that I could find. I found people that would insure a company like that. And we found, I found uh, people that was set up to corporation for us. And it, so I'm just saying that, and then do the same thing at King Solomon. I'm just surrounding ourselves, pulling ourselves together with good people and coming up, slowing down, coming up with an idea that may or may not work. Who knows? We don't know. But I, also, I know that we have found, I have found over the years that when I, I find something, my companies has, we have to find a niche. And you were talking about that, looking at the picture of my my dad's still. And he found a niche for that corn. Yeah. By fermenting it, cooking it off, making it into alcohol. Okay. He found a niche. Well, guess who he found a niche for? I remember as a little kid going with him, driving to it from up in the mountains, from the still, hauling the still to all the moonshine to Atlanta for the Shriners. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, Perfect. He, he found Perfect. a niche. He found a niche for the stuff, and and not only, but that didn't last. I mean, we didn't. That didn't last long. He got into legitimate business soon, and uh, well, I should say, a legal business <laughs> soon. <laughs> uh, and and he done that with the help of you know the guidance from his Masonic brothers, and that's what I'm saying about you know gathering your resources and putting things together. Uh, you, you know, it, it don't take a lot of money uh, to do things. You can, sometimes it takes zero amount of money. You know, look at, look at your lodge in particular, what could be done with zero amount of money there. A lot could be done. A lot. You guys have got a, a, a huge amount of resources there. You got attorneys, you got construction people, you, you know, you, you've got everything from every walk of life. And it's just sitting there waiting to be utilized, and, you know. And 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 you're right. Uh, it's it's an untapped, you know, source of, of energy that most lodges fail miserably in tapping into, <laughs> miserably. And it's something. And that brings me to something that I've been asking a lot of uh, members when we talk, and because I hear the you know the oh I can't wait to lodge opens, you know, so we can get back. And I just been bluntly asking him why, why your, your ass wasn't doing anything before. And how, how are you telling me you're ready to go back? If you haven't spent this time thinking about how to improve the, the experience, right. And utilize a source like resource, like, but you're just saying right now, we've had all this time because all that's going to happen is when you guys go back, brethren, and I hope you hear me. When you guys go back, you guys are going to continue to do the same things that you were doing before and wondering why you're not getting a different result when you should have been utilizing, like what Jim is saying, you guys should have been brainstorming. You guys have been should have been utilizing this time to figure out ways to tighten up this over here, get rid of that over there, so that when we finally do get back, 
we can we can hit the ground running. But most of you did not do that. You're going to go back to the same thing that you were doing before. What do you think about that, Jim? Do you think that's well, accurate I, with Mason with uh, masonry think, and lodges? I think that's exactly what's happening. I, I think that uh, the guys have not, you know, uh, got together and you know, and just they were, we could we actually had the time we could slow down and identify Finally. Finally. identify the problems, whether it be a small problem or large problem or anything in between. It, but you can't you can't identify problems when you're on the run. You have to slow down, stop, and and think about what you're doing, and and try to get together and put you know like if the guys would put all their, all their senses together and think about things together and go in and, and debate the subject, whatever it may be and go mm -hmm. in and get what my, his opinion on it, get his opinion on it. And somebody, and when you do that, you're going to come out with the, the absolute best results. When you do that, if you do something by yourself, you're probably going to fail. If I do something by myself, I'm probably going to fail. I'm sorry. You know, I'm just not that smart and no one person is when you have all the other information that's right there in front of you and you and, have it and don't use it. In connection to that, I, I mean, I've seen it I, and it's 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 infuriatingly fr frustrating because in my opinion, and it sounds like yours as well and Vic's as well, every single lodge has the potential of radically transforming the lodge experience but they don't and either they, they refuse or they don't know or what have you so i asked vic this i'll ask you this you know we, we have forty thousand masons right now in the state of california and from what i understood we we still hadn't applied the tourniquet we still hadn't figured out a way to stop the bleeding and and we were still losing members either through death because they were older members or just they're leaving and not coming back because they're not getting satisfied. Do you see us turning the tide? Even after what we just said, most lodges refuse to use their own resources. Do you see us applying the tourniquet anytime soon? I think we can. Okay. I think some lodges will. Some already are. And some are completely failing miserably because as you know, if you don't make give the uh, person the experience that he's looking for, they're not going to they're not going to be there. And you know that's why you've seen you know all these new lodges are popping up. Right. Everywhere, all over, there's new lodges popping up. I forgot now the number of how many, you know, that we've got now. But uh, there's a, a gang of new lodges. I think it's like tw twenty or thirty. Is it? 20, I think it's like twenty-three or four yeah. or something like that. Right. New new lodges. You know, uh, some of them haven't received a charter. Some are under dispensation. Blah blah blah. But, uh, and I think the reason for that is guys, kind of like the Desert Daylight Lodge. Guys, they have they have a mission. And if somebody puts an application in, even if he's a past master or, or a previous and past, whatever, Grand Lodge person, if he don't, if he don't believe in what that lodge is doing, then they don't accept his application. They just send him a letter and said, I'm sorry, we're not, we, are, we don't save you from embarrassment. We're gonna, not gonna accept your application. And the lodges that's gonna do that are gonna thrive. They got 20 something members. Uh, which is 
small amount, but everything that they do, it's all guided in one direction. And, you know, the lodges that's gonna do this and that and the other, and they really have no direction or anything like that. That's the people that's gonna fail. That's yeah. the ones that's gonna fail. That's where the saying comes in that I've been using with, with my brethren at lodge and anybody that would listen is Freemasonry can be all things to all people and your lodge cannot be all things to all people. The sooner you guys find a focus, the sooner you guys find an identity, a lodge identity and begin to create that culture, the sooner you're going to begin to see that, that you're going to stem the tide and you're going to begin to see people stay. But if you're trying to be all things to all people, forget it. Your, your energies are being scattered. You have yeah. no focus and nobody knows what the hell they're doing. And now, and then you're left wondering, well, why doesn't that guy, you know, come back or, you know, we just initiated 10 guys and, and one of them is staying and he's already talking about leaving. I mean, yeah. And meantime, you're paying for capital on 10. Yeah. And you're, and so the, <laughs> so these financial consequences, yeah. The, and then not only that, but the time, the amount of time, Jim, that uh, the, the uh, lodge officer spent practicing and memorizing and getting into uh, the ritual and, and away from their families, that, that has no quantifiable number, right? But I think Grand Lodge did it about two or three years ago where they put a price on it and it costs something like $30,000 to take one man through all three degrees because they're calculating, you know, the... Uh, from the moment you leave the door, you go put gas, you buy food, you know, all this time, all this little things. Yeah, that just you man hours, period. Yeah. 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 So that was interesting. And if, I mean, you're saying that you're saying that some lodges will do it and most are going to continue to flounder, which is not a very positive prospect, <laughs> but that's the reality. That's what I've seen. So, well, here's, you, you know, you asked me, you hit the number of the 40,000 members. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know that we need more than 40,000 members. I don't know that. I think looking at the numbers is kind of like, it's kind of like money to me. I, I look, I just look at it like a way of keeping score. You know, I don't really look at, you know, money. We need this money for that money for this money for that. I look at it like, okay, this is just the way we're going to, this is what we need. This is what we have. And this is the way we're going to work it. And that's, and that's the way the lodges, they're not just not doing that. If, um, if they, if the guys would just slow down and think about things, think about all the people, think about, you know, go through your list, your membership list and look at the people, the, the diversity people that you have there uh, mentally. Um, uh, and I'm, I've never ever been afraid or thought about even negatively about hiring expert help. Uh, you know, attorneys, financial people. I've, you know, had conversations with financial people, uh, you know, a, a lot of time because I have a question and I don't know it. So I find somebody that does. You don't know the answers to some of your things in the lodge, but you probably have people there that does. But will, are they going to do that? Probably not. You know, uh, if you got a couple minutes, I want to share something with you. Some uh, I don't know if this fit in in your time frame or not. Go ahead. I've Go got ahead. a couple. I've got I've got a list of rules that I that I live by daily, and I want you to just uh, you, you can question and we can you can pick out one decide what it would maybe might fit in or not. But this is what I do personally. Let's do it. I never ever put myself in a position or say anything that my integrity could be questioned. 
never. Uh, that means going right straight back to the cipher again. You know, you got to do, do, tell the truth, do what you're going to do. I, I read a quote from the Bible every day, but I do it. I also do like I do in the cipher. I decipher it. I look at each piece, each word, and I try to get the meaning of each word and apply it to what that that is trying to that quote is trying to tell me. Uh, where it's a Bible quote or it's a uh, you know the cipher quote something out of a masonic book i try to just make sure that i get the explanation of everything and understand it before i leave that and once i leave it I, it's i'm gone i don't care about it from then on i think about it i got it in my head but i just i don't worry about learning anything because i know what the truth is after reading it i think about the ramifications before i speak that's to me, that's a big one. Uh, I've said things that I probably shouldn't have said and come back and couldn't sleep for two or three days because of things that I said that I shouldn't have said. And I did, just did not think about it before I was, was speaking about it. The other thing I like to do, I think of myself as a, as a, not only as a teacher every day, but also as a student. I put myself in position and everything like today, we're talking what we're talking about. You're trying to get information out of me, how to try to get what I live and how I apply things and how I do things. But I'm also looking at it like, what am I getting from you? What, what am I understanding from you? And I do that every time I, every time I go somewhere, I do anything. That's the way I do. I look at it like I'm a student as well as maybe being a teacher, so. One of the things I never ever do is I never intentionally hurt someone. That could be uh, emotionally, mentally, physically. Uh, I've had occasions where I would, you know, I'd buck up on somebody and I'd, I'd really want to, you know, but I I know I have subconsciously I want I need to back down and some and sometimes that's in a that's debating things. It could I could be debating things and I realize I need to back down because I'm going to hurt this person's feelings if I if I go on and, and make him understand what I'm thinking. I try to be as charitable as I possibly can. I and I'm, I'm talking about not necessarily with money, but but also uh, with my time trying to help people get people through things. Uh, sometimes I waste my time. But you know, I feel like it's time well spent if I can if I can help one person. So, it, it, you know, that's what I was telling you earlier about the children. That's why I like the Scottish Rite because of the things we do with the speech impediments. We do that for free. So the same thing with the shrine. We have the kids. You know, the last thing I try to do is I never waste my time trying to be a success. I spend my time trying to be a value to something or someone. I never, never try to be a success. I don't, I never aspire to be, you know, to ride around in my Rolls Royce, uh, you know, I don't want to, uh, that's just something I just don't care about. What I care about is trying to be of value to someone or something. So pick, pick that apart. <laughs> Tell me what you think about that. That was a lot of, well, a lot of stuff to throw on you. 
Well, I mean, these are things that if you go through the top performers uh, of, uh, of industries, you're going to see a lot of those. You're going to hear a lot of those. And the second one you said about uh, that you try not to speak, you know, before you think about the ramifications. All right. Because you, you we uh, we tend to get angry. And we speak out of anger and then we end up saying and doing stuff that later on we're regretting. But isn't it funny? I was just talking about this with uh, one of the inner apprentices the other day because he had some questions. And I said, hey, man, if you go through your entire cipher or the entire degree of the inner apprentice and then you you connect the installation ceremony and some of the charges that you're given, I said, for example, the Tyler do you know what the Tyler is charged with? And he says, no. So I read it off to him and it has to do with what you just said, because the Tyler, the Tyler is charged with to set a guard over our thoughts, a watch at our lips and post a sentinel over our actions, thereby preventing the approach of every unworthy thought and deed and preserving consciences void of offense toward God and man. But most of the time we fail miserably to remember that that's what the Tyler is charged. So, so technically if the, if the Tyler was on his game before you came through the first door of the lodge, he would be there with the sword and said, Hey brother, who are you bringing to the lodge today? Right. And you're going to say, well, I'm not bringing anybody. I'm coming by myself. No brother. Who are you bringing to the lodge today? Well, you know, I just told you, I don't have anybody. Do you see anybody? No. You better go back in your car and think about what I'm asking you because you don't know you've had a bad day da, 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 and that's what you're bringing. You're bringing that person into the lodge room and, yeah. and his job is to set a guard over our thoughts, our words, our actions, all of that stuff. So it, it, it's profound. And you want, can you get any more esoteric than that one? That's a deeply, you know, esoteric Yes, it is. And, you know, because most of the guys think the, uh, the Tyler's out there to guard uh, from Cowans and eavesdroppers. Well, what, you know, what the heck's he going to do with a, with a sword against, a, you know, an AK or, you know, <laughs> you know, or a nine millimeter yeah. or something coming? Yeah, no, that's not his. What's he going to He can't guard over physical issues. He has his, his whole approach should be to, to guard over mental issues when you bring it in the lodge and we're charged not to bring in to bring that person into the lodge we're supposed to do the same thing we're when we go into lodge we're supposed to be uh working for the betterment of man and betterment of the lodge and the betterment of a brother sitting beside us and i've traveled a lot and i do i see that a lot of places and and you know you're asking me to to uh dissect the the uh, ones i think you have five is that what you had? Five of them? Five yeah. or six? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, brethren, if you're listening and on brethren, that's what Freemasonry is telling you to do. Exactly like what he's taught. And, and he's breaking it down. And I'm pretty sure we go into our cipher and we go into the installation ceremony. You're going to find all of those five or six that Jim just talked about in there. But again, life ha begins to happen so fast. We get so caught up with everything that we fail to go back to these basics. How many do you have, Jim? A total of seven. Seven. So even better, right? It takes seven to open a lodge of inner apprentices. You know, so these numbers, three, five, and seven, uh, 
my biggest one was that because I just read it yesterday to that EA because I have it inside my cipher. As I opened up my cipher, the very first page on the inside, I wrote that down because I thought it was so important because most of the times someone in the lodge is coming in having after having a bad day, after having arguments with somebody or they've just been having a bad week and they decided to come in that way. And, and not just the Tyler, but all of us failed to set a guard over, over his thoughts, you know, and his words and actions, because it'll, it'll trickle over somehow, uh, some way. And it, so, it, so Freemasonry has way more to teach. And the, the disservice that we give, that we do to the craft, and I'm talking about a lot of brothers out there, I won't mention any names, is that you begin to hype it up. But then what happens? Uh, when a member goes in there, they, they begin to see the opposite of what you were hyping the lodge up to be. And, and so we do it a disservice. The only way we're going to eliminate that is to begin to pay attention to what we're actually learning and not just make it just whatever. And now let's come back and make it your own little playhouse or whatever you're trying to make it into be. So we're missing the boat on that. And that's, I mean, would you, would you, uh, what's your opinion on that? When, when you hear a statement like that, do you see it more often than not? I see more, way more often than not. I, I hardly ever see it as, as a matter of fact, I, uh, which is not good. Uh, you, you really have to think about, you know, the way you live your life and the way you, you way you're, you're trying to be taught you you go to the lodge to learn. You don't go there to teach people. You go there to learn, you know, yes, you may be doing the lecture. Yes. You may be, you know, talking to the guys out there. Yes. You may be doing things, but you're also learning while you're there. That's why I would say the big one, the big one is to be a student as well as a good teacher. So it's, it's very important that, that you learn something every day. Uh, and it's very important that you teach something. Otherwise, you never take over the whole world. If you, you'll never take the world <laughs> over if you if you don't teach somebody something every day. And I know that's yeah, that's funny and that's okay. But uh, seriously, you you have to be able to teach something every day. And the only way that you can teach people that you don't you don't going to teach them the same thing. You might as well open your own church and you know have a pulpit and do preach the same thing every day and every day. And, you know, that's not what you need to do. You know, I feel like you need to learn something and teach it. In connection to that, Jim, when, when people go to, the, to a lodge door, a prospect, and they're looking for something, that lodge should have something to offer. And most of the times it doesn't, it doesn't in the sense that it's focused, it's, you know, it's disciplined and they see the, the, the value. So most lodges don't have this already set up. They'll turn around and say, well, yeah, we do. We have Freemasonry. Like that's not what we're talking about. You know, anybody, any, uh, you know, when I was going through the degree, when I was going through Freemasonry and, and, um, becoming involved way back in 2001, um, some of the mentors that I had would say any monkey can do this, can be trained to do the degrees. It's the inner 
lessons that have to be continuously taught, brought out so that you guys are, are learning. So in connection to that, this is another point as to why we're floundering, right? We, it just, it's not brought out continuously. It is. Uh, but you know, I, I kind of I disagree with you about the lodge not having stuff, things to offer people. What I, what I believe is the, what the lodges have to offer is maybe is not what that person is looking for. That's why it's not a good fit. Uh, you know, each one of the lodges, like I was telling you earlier, they have certain agendas of things to do. You know, uh, you do a lot of stuff on Masonic education with all your guys. Uh, you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be out and you're not, your lodge is not out in the parades if that's what they want to do your lodges are not your lodge is not doing stuff with children and are doing a lot of charity stuff if that's what they're looking for they need to go somewhere else they're not going to be a good fit in your lodge and what ultimately what happens is they're not a good fit in your lodge they uh, just actually bleed they're not a good fit for masonry period which is not the case and, not at and, all you know and that's where the some of the eight steps of excellence come in, right? Because guarding the West Gate, which has been adopted, I, I would say like widely, it's been adopted and some, some lodges are more strict than others on guarding the West Gate. But uh, even with that, you have prospects that slip through the cracks and they're still not a fit. And because of that, like at our lodge, we go so far as to tell them, go visit the other lodges in this district, please. Go see if, because they might be a better fit. Um, this is how we do it. This is our focus. This is our direction. And it might not, you, you know, maybe the second time you come, the third time you come, you might say like, you know what? It's not, it's not where I, what I want to do. So that's why we tell them, go visit another lodge because that's only fair. You know, and if you need a letter of introduction, let us know, or we tell them to give us a call. I think it's only fair because, Every lodge has different DNAs. They're composed of different members with different mentalities. But it comes back to, again, Jim, if, they, if that lodge hasn't taken the time to offer something and have that focus, you know, we're right back to where we started. And, and most lodges believe that they do. And, and, and one of the problems is, is they get too diverse. They want to offer everything. And... You know, you just can't do that. You just, you just don't have the capability of doing that. You don't have the, you know, the resources to do that with. Uh, you don't have, you know, the, the, the people to do it with. You don't have the finances to do, offer everything. You know, that's why I wasn't saying that your lives didn't do things in a negative way. I was saying that I, I meant that in a positive way. Right. Because right. Um, you're concentrating on, you know, your Masonic education. You're not concentrating on uh, going out on the street and doing charitable work and doing things like that. That's not that's not what that lodge is about. There's the other lodges that does that. That does not have the, the amount of education that your lodge has. So that's a perfect example of what, what we're saying. But I think every lodge has something to offer the, the people, offer the uh, get, you know, prospects that come in. It may not be a good fit for them, but I believe every lodge does have something that they can do that. Uh, you know, some of the some of the bigger lodges are, you know, we've had lodges in, you know, in San Diego that had eight, nine hundred thousand members and and more. Uh, 
but you know, it's a military area, Navy area, but you know, they didn't have, you know, they, but they would have 80 or hundred people in meetings, but that was, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, not happening now. And so you don't need to have that many people. What you need to do is take advantage of what you do have. Like some of the smaller lodges, all these lodges that are, that are coming up now and getting, you know, uh, going for their charter or the dispensation, they don't have 100, 200 members, 300 members. They may have 20, 30, maybe 40 members at maximum. Most of them have 20, you know. And the reason that is, is if you think about it, that's the way a lot of the lodges in Europe are. That's where a lot of the lodges over the end of Europe are. They have, may not have, but maybe 30 or 40 members. But their dues are, you know, a thousand pounds a year, you know, $1,500 US dollars or something. Then that's what it takes. But, and they may have 20 lodges that meets in one building or, or 15 lodges. That's common. Yeah, the focus the, that allows them to focus tighter because you're able that that makes sense and that's something that we're striving for here um but even though we have a roster that's bigger than that what our thinking was we can only really engage at that level maybe 20 maybe 25 so that's what we're going to see at lodge all the time because the rest you know they live out of state or they're just too old to go to lodge so in reality the, the real core is about 20, 25 members that we can engage because I can engage maybe three or four, you can engage maybe three or four. And so between the five officers, now we've engaged 20 people. And now we're, we're uh, you know, we're more tightly knit. We get to know each other. And so when you're missing, we, it, we recognize it right away. And where are you at? Or, yeah. or uh, it, it's, it's a better fit for what we're doing. And yeah, in the masters and wardens retreats and then grand lodge talking to the brethren that, that have done that, they, they, uh, part of their whole philosophy was that we want to, we want to be small. We're not probably going to grow any bigger than this because we cannot, we cannot engage, you know, the, the intimacy begins to get really weak once you pass 30, 40, 50 members. So we want to keep it tight. Then I asked him, well, what about the, the amount of work, though? He says, no, we're going to rotate. Everyone's going to put their work in. Everyone's going to get uh, cross-trained, and that's going to keep us going, you know, for a number of years. You know, a, lot of, a lot of guys talk negative about Grand Lodge, and, and I'm one of them. When I see something, <laughs> I see something that they're doing, you know, yeah. I, I make sure I bring, it, I bring the point out. I don't, I don't uh, hold back on it. Uh, but as a general rule, they do more right than they do wrong. And I, okay. and I think, and I think that we, I think we need their guidance. Uh, I think we need that cohesion, uh, for each one of the, all the lodges and all the members. Uh, but you know, I explained to you, sometimes the dog don't wag the tail. Sometimes the tail wags the dog and, you know, just put it plain and simple, uh, grand lodge wouldn't exist without us, the lodges out here. Uh, the lodges probably couldn't exist without Grand Lodge overseeing and, you know, and doing, you know, the, the judicial part of the work, you know, when we, when people have charges, just, just think if you had to handle all that stuff in Lodge, you had to handle all the, you know, the charges that was, uh, that was brought up just in your Lodge, mm -hmm. you know, not other Lodges, not anything else. So Grand Lodge has a great place. They have, they have a place for, you know, that, that we need them. 
and we need that guy. It's kind of like it's kind of like you know, kind of like the police. I would say, but they're not. They don't police us. But uh, we need you know, we need good guidance, and that's the way I look at it. And that's why that's exactly the way I look at Grand Lodges. Yeah, that's a good point, and I think it doesn't take a lot to think about that. Yes, there are uh, positives for Grand Lodge uh, because they do take uh, like a lot of the intact, you know, this all this yeah. administrative stuff that that uh, has ta been taken out of our hands. We're still aware of it, but because of that, now we can focus on more on the fellowship and the social aspect of the fraternity. At our lodge, we've we've uh, streamlined our our because of that, we're able to streamline our state of meetings. And even after opening, which takes 10 minutes of ritual to open, uh, it takes 10 minutes for us to do our, our, uh, all of our business. That's it, 10 minutes. And then so we're left with 40 minutes of, of uh, Masonic education, of open discussion, you know, where everybody gets engaged and we bring up a subject because of Grand Lodge, because they've taken over uh, a lot of this. And that's maybe a bad term. They've taken over, but they've stepped in to handle this stuff because it was causing such a big problem for many of the constituent lodges but in regard to what you were saying about a uh, uh, grand lodge you know what is your stance on on how they handled the pandemic overall because i know i know all district inspectors were just getting hammered with complaints and questions about why this why that what what does this mean how long you know what 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 was going on during that time and what was oh, what's your take on that i i feel like that we could probably could have done things better uh, I think we, we could have done things better on a local level uh, to start with, and we could have carried it, moved it up. Uh, but the basic stance for Grand Lodge is, is we have to abide by the law. And, and I agree with that. But there's also a lot of gray areas that, you know, we talked about, like, you know, we, we'd let two, two people could go to the lodge and do maintenance and things like that. Okay. Well, we and we could also do, you know, our esoteric work. We could go in there and, and talk about our degrees and do our different things. And see, we didn't take advantage of a lot of that stuff. And we should have. And Grand Lodge said it was okay to do some of those things. And we just didn't do it. So I think we could have done better on the local and the and the lodges. Uh, I think we were just, everybody was just so pissed, you know, and and not being able to think we were being controlled, uh, which we were but not by Grand Lodge, it was controlled by, by the government. The government told, was telling, was dictating to Grand Lodge what we had to do. And I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not sure that that was the right thing to do, uh, but I don't believe in breaking the law. I believe that we should, you know, uh, we should do what we're supposed to do uh, to do things right. Uh, but I also think that we should question, remember we go back to our first, an hour ago, you know, or 40 minutes ago, why? Go back to ask that question, why? Well, the simple answer is, is they were being dictated what to do and they had to dictate it to the lodges. What, so, what was their reaction, uh, Jim, when they found out that like certain churches were suing and, and, and winning in court to be able to go and congregate? I mean, why, why didn't Grand Lodge, uh, you know, maybe pursue that course? Uh, that's what I'm saying. I, I think uh, they probably should have been some things that, and, and we still may wind up having to do that. I'm still, you know, we, we're talking about a second round. Yes. Uh, here it comes. 
I'm like I said, I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but I do believe that this that this past year was a trial to see how much they could control the government could control us. Yeah. And I think that we could have done a better job by not being controlled. That's, you know, my opinion. Uh, I was able to travel. The planes were still in the air. Uh, yes, I took my shots. I, I got vaccinated. I wanted to travel. I wanted to do things. And I wasn't going to, you know, I, I haven't I always tested negative entire, you know, for a year and a half now. But I'm also very, very, uh, you know, Vic even always tells us, you know, carry a little, a little bottle of hand sanitizer with you all the time, keep it in your pocket, or even if it's senior deacon carrying or, you know, going around with a candidate, have, you know, have, you know, a little bit of sanitizer. And so there's nothing wrong with being precautious, but at the same time, there's nothing wrong with, with loading up your guns and getting ready to, you know, to, uh, to fight for what we, what we believe that we, that we should be doing. And, I would hate for one person to die in our lodges because of that. Um, Charlie Ash died, and you know, last year uh, wouldn't let wouldn't let anybody in to see him. Wouldn't let his wife in to see him. Wouldn't let anybody in to see him. Uh, and could we call that because of COVID? No, he died because he was just old. And yeah. Crying. You know, I mean, you know, we're, that's, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's yeah. one that's one thing that we learn to do is die well in Masons. I mean, I do believe that we get, a, I get a, a lot out of that third degree every time I, even in our practices, uh, you know, uh, you, you're in, you really get the sense of what's truly going to happen to you at some point in time. And to me, even when and when you do the the uh, uh, you do your stuff on your third degree, you go, it also goes into further detail about telling you you know your proficiency. It goes into a lot more detail about that. And so I, I would I would really hate for one person to die in our lodge, and but we have. Uh, well, can we call it COVID? <clears throat> you know. Uh, well, are you talking about technically, Jim, or or uh, symbolically? Because uh, you and I died in the in a lodge, and you know a lot of people died in, in that lodge. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm <laughs> trying to relate that to both. Both. Okay. I'm trying to I'm trying to relate to symbolically what actually truly does happen at the end of your life. Yeah, yeah. and that's why the skull and bones, right? Memento mori, reminding yeah. us that that from it yeah. we came, so to it we must return. Yeah, I'm this not scared is, to die. <clears throat> because, uh, you know, I, I, and I don't think you are. I just, you know, I don't think people, you know, we're, we're just not, but, you know, you guys done a thing on it. It was, uh, I can't remember now exactly what it was. It was one of your nights you were discussing and you discussed fear. Yeah. F-E-A-R. Do you remember that? Discussion? What is fear? Yes. Yeah. Do you remember that discussion? Yes. Our trivium discussion how, group. Yes. Do you remember how deep that we got into that? <laughs> yes. Was you surprised at all? And, no. and what was you surprised um uh, well yes and no yes and no um no because i've been we've been conducting these trivium discussion groups and uh you know the people continue to surprise me so uh, but the the not surprising thing is that i understand i'm going to continue to be surprised right but <laughs> yeah. uh so on that day because of the topic and because the pandemic had just started 
And there was a lot of that going around. What was one of the big things that really surprised me? Well, that people were acknowledging, I think towards the end, they finally acknowledged that, yes, they were scared. They were scared of the unknown. They, they didn't know what this was. They didn't know what was going on. And they were scared that uh, their fear was that the government was not being honest with us. That's some of the things that I remember. I don't know what you remembered. Well, what was something that surprised you? Probably one of the biggest things that surprised me was most of the guys that was in that discussion had a some level of fear. And maybe I don't think I'm fearless by any means. You know, I don't I don't go out and drive like a wild man. I, I try to be safe at everything I do. But I don't, I'm not scared of anything. I'm not scared, you know, uh, of anything. I'm just not scared. They don't, I'm, I don't have any, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm fearless, but it surprised me that people that, that, that people had, you know, especially grown men. And I'm talking about guys your age, you know, in the forties, you know, I can, I consider that fairly, you know, young and, and, and I could understand some of the older guys being, you know, uh, having, you know, being apprehensive of what was going on, but I just can't understand the, couldn't understand the fear. I mean, hey, and, and, yeah. you know, uh, what is, what is to be, what are you scared of? Are you scared of dying? I'm not, you know, uh, most of the guys probably shouldn't be. So what would you be scared of? What? I think, I think in that discussion, Jim, to answer your question, what, what it came, because at first it was kind of like nebulous, like, okay. But then once we got into it, cause that was like a two hour long discussion on Socratic method style. That's what the Trivium discussion group is. And you guys can go on, on the website, palmstringsmasons.org and, and look up the Trivium tab and, and click on there and you guys will see what we're talking about. But um, I think like an hour, I, that's how long it took to, for them to get softened up and then start, tell, start telling us what their fears were and their fears. Uh, like I think I mentioned it in that, on that group. I think that's what probably opened up the floodgates. As I said, I fear that certain rights will be taken away from us because of this on, on account of this, whatever this is, this pandemic, this virus, this SARS-CoV-2, whatever it is that, that, that it is or isn't, I fear that they're going to begin to take away our rights little by little. And that just opened up the floodgates and they just started, well, I fear this. And well, you know, and, and I think uh, the overarching thing was that it was the news that we were receiving and the amount uh, and, and just getting overwhelmed with the amount of news that was, cause it was 24 seven. It still is. And, but you're right. I, I don't know exactly what the fear was, but it was, you know, government overreach, you know, does the governor have this kind of authority? Why aren't we doing anything about it? Who's going to help us? You know, what are we going to do? It was, yeah. Yeah. These, it, it was, I don't know if I felt better after that or worse. Cause I'm like, geez, if they're scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can understand that. I, that's I, I came away with mixed feelings too i thought well am i really that that stupid enough not to be not to be uh you know have a fear of these things like these guys are talking about yes i i i'm apprehensive about we're losing our rights every day you know we're losing our freedoms uh and they're you know they're, they're slowly creeping in uh so what are you going to do you know uh 
and the worst thing about it is, is I fear for your kids. You know, uh, I fear for my grandkids. You know, what's going to happen to them when they don't have, you know, they don't have rights and you know the things that we that, that we we fought for. I'm sorry, you know, it's going away, and but you know, I'm not I'm not afraid of my future. You know, of course, my future is not as long as yours, or as long as your kids, but. I'm still not afraid of it. So that was, uh, that really opened my eyes when you guys, when that, that was really a great, a great conversation that you guys had then that night. Yeah. And, and we, we have them once a month guys, uh, for those listening and who will be listening it, once we uh, publish this, uh, it's the third Tuesday of the month. It's called the, the Trivium. It's the Socratic uh, Socrates Cafe and trivium discussion group it's open to to the public and this is our charitable contribution to our our community by having an, an a platform to be able to have these discussions that are non-combative that it is it isn't a debate it just we just throw a question on there and then we discuss them and nobody gets attacked and during that time jim i mean we had a a string of these great conversations that were all connected i think i i think one of them was you know what is what is covid19 and we had the discussion and it was uncomfortable because you can see people were on different sides of the fence they weren't understanding it then we brought up what is science because the science wasn't right in our opinion so we talked about that and 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 this is a problem, right? A, a pro there's a problem that we can't think straight and we can't think clearly. And you have an insight on that. You have an insight on a problem that you had that this happened to you years ago when you were facing a lot of problems with your company, mm -hmm. right? And you said you talked to a well-respected friend. What did he advise you? You know, how did, how did that help you think about this thing? Because we're, we're talking about thinking, thinking clearly. Yeah, so what it's, happened? It's basically uh, going back to the basics of the foundation of where we're at, of what, where we needed to be. Uh, we've uh, never had any complaints on the company or anything like that. Never had any issues with anything. But it was just when you talk to people that gives you directions, and it, it wasn't probably anything in particular, but it was the thing about it is you, I just had to learn to slow down think about the problems, think about the things that's happened. How do we put those in place? Uh, I had a, uh, had a asphalt company, paving company in Tampa, Florida when I was younger and I retired from that company and I owned it and I found a niche for that company. Uh, and I found that out from a friend that's a Mason friend. And he said, oh, you know, all the, the big companies are, they're, they're not even looking at these jobs, these state and county city jobs, because they're less than $200,000. They're called many contracts. And all they wanted was the multi-million dollar contracts, but they would take these little ones. They would take turns taking these little jobs. So I jumped into that arena and I had several million dollars worth of work sold and I was able to sell a company and and retire to the mountains and have, and that, you know, I was 45 years old, I was able to retire. And, uh, and it just came from sitting down and talking to someone. And, and then I learned to find a niche, 
I learned you have to find a niche to be successful. And I'm not talking about business now. You relate that to your lodge. Relate that to yourself. You know, maybe this is your niche. Maybe, you know, people need to listen to you talk. Maybe you can direct people and help people that way. Maybe that's that's what your you know that's your niche, but there's a niche for you somewhere, and you need to find it. We we all need to find those little things that we uh, that's going to make us successful, and uh, whatever you're doing, it's going to be successful, and you have to look hard for those things. It's not going to come to you. It's not going to come. I don't hear your door knocking right now. There's nobody. <laughs> there's nobody knocking on your door uh, yeah. with opportunities, right? No, they're not beating down the door right now. No. So, so you got to go find them. And that's basically what I was told to do. Slow down, go find something, find, find what you need, uh, put it in perspective, put it in place. And that's what I did. And that's, uh, I learned that's, that was a great lesson mentally as well as for financially. So this allowed you to obviously see this, uh, the problem in a completely different light. It helped you to open up your eyes and mind to this niche and this solution. And in the world that we live in today, and, and especially now in the situation that we're in, this is why the Trivium is, is so important to us, because we need an, an arena. We need a platform where we can be able to go discuss things and, and, and think about things clearly, because there's, there's a lot of confusion right now, even still right now. Uh, and I think it's between California and New York. I think they're going to be the first states that are going to mandate a shutdown again, you know, and then, and then we're off and running again. And here we go again with the business owners wondering what the hell now, now I'm going to lose it all. And no one, no one is providing a platform to discuss things and say, you know, they have been saying, where's the science they have been saying that, but it's not on 24 seven, like the other side is right yeah, yeah. so and you know, the first thing they do is turn your tv off just go in there if you got a hammer it's a good thing it's a good oh, thing yeah. to use your on your yeah. tv just go in there and beat the crap out of your tv <laughs> with your hammer that's the best thing to do because i'm telling you you get you're getting a lot of false information and and misinformation and agreed and, and misguided stuff too so but you know you say there's we're back to the where we're gonna have there's gonna be a lot of problems coming up you can also look and I may be, I may sound like I'm maybe, I don't want to make you sound like a pessimist and I'm an optimist, but there's also opportunities in what we're doing with, you know, in the pandemic things is going on. There's always things that we can do to make things better. And maybe we can make ourselves better. We can make other people better. Uh, but there's opportunities to do that right now. And I'm glad you bring that up, Jim, because my sole uh, uh, purpose for bringing the problem up is because until I'm a firm believer, until we know there is a problem, then we can finally address it and begin to find the solution. Sometimes it's called a problem. Sometimes people call it a challenge. I like to call it a problem because that's how I was raised. We got a problem. How do we handle it? And then move on, right? And then we, we go from there. So that's why. And, and uh, I want to find solutions as well. So I'm glad you're bringing up that other side. And that's, that's the black and white checkered floor of every lodge room that should be in every lodge room, right? It, this, is the, this is how we're supposed to be learning it. So that when we're talking about these problems or an opportunity, 
it's right there, right at our feet, the black and white checkered floor. All these things have been given to us, but we refuse to look at it. We refuse to learn from it. We refuse to focus on it. And we want to point the finger, you know, and I've been known for, for doing that, uh, you know, at times. And when you look at it, you're like, yeah, I got to stop doing that. And you got to begin to figure out the solutions. Okay, so I found out what the problem is. Let's go and find the solution now. What is it? The obstacle is the way. Yeah, you, you learned in problem solving 101. The first thing in that circle, you remember the circle when you when we you was taught problem solving. Yes. First thing you do is what do you do is identify the problem. Identify the problem. Yes. And then and then you you gather all the information that caught about about the problem. Yeah, figure out exactly what, what you spend 20% of the time figuring out what the problem is and 80% of the time figuring out the solution. Yeah. 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 So, so you're, you're at the same time, there's also opportunities in what we're doing. Just like, you know, you go back to the basic, like my family back in the, you know, the, the, and back in the 1930s, they had, they didn't have, they had, didn't have nothing but problems, you know, <laughs> Clothes to wear had a lot of corn, had a lot of bottomland, you know, a lot of places where they could raise corn. So they they figured out an opportunity, you know. And I and I've taken that lesson throughout my entire life. I've looked at things. I've you know, I, uh, when people tell me I've got to do this, I have to do it like this way. And of course, I question why. And and I say, okay, well, there's an opportunity here. If I do it the way he tells me to do it, then I'm going to learn something. And maybe I can teach that to someone else, but I'm going to teach it in a different way than he taught it to me. And see, that's the key. You're, you're right. People are that smart. People are not pointing fingers unless they're pointing them to themselves. Everything starts right in, in your, with yourself. It, it may not end there, but that's where it starts. And, you know, you have a have a tendency not only to uh, you you don't point fingers as much like you used to, and but you know you you're like a bulldog you don't let go of things, and sometimes that's a you know that's a good thing, but if when the animal's dead, there's no reason to you know there's no reason to keep uh, keeping in your mouth you might as well let it go because <laughs> you because right. you you know and that's now, the point. maybe not maybe not you know, right. physically, but mentally. Right. And, and that's part of the point within the circle, right? Because we all want to be the point within the circle. And because if you keep on with the stuff that's, that's detrimental to you, eventually you're going to be the point outside of the circle and you don't want to be that. We want to continue to be the point within the circle. And that's our, you know, our circumference of, of where our boundaries. And so I understand that. And when, when a brother, a certain brother, you know, brought it to my attention. I said, yeah, you know what? That's how we're supposed to use these symbols to help us internalize some of these lessons. You know, hey, you're being the point outside of the circle right now. Stop it. You need to, you know, get, get back in the circle, find your center, and then, and then move from, you know, move, move ahead. Keep, keep walking forward. And, you know, a lot of people might be confused with this, uh, with this podcast. A lot of people might know it, it Masonic muscle. We got to have strong conversations about the fraternity. We got to have fortitude. We got to build our mental muscle, our Masonic muscle. Also, you know, uh, there's a physical aspect and that is exercising. 
you know, I like to take, uh, do physical exercise every day, at least 20 to 30 minutes. I like to drink plenty of water. I like to watch what I eat. You know, sometimes I go overboard, but uh, I, I come back to center. Um, what are you doing nowadays, Jim, to try to, and, you know, stay some, some sort of physical fitness, level of physical fitness? Very honestly, my, uh, I haven't changed anything at all. I've, I've walked my dog, take her to the park, walk her, you know, for 30 minutes or an hour or so. And uh, that's the, you know, I get a physical exercise from that. That's all and you I need. Done that, and I've done that all year last year. It didn't, they didn't, it didn't stop me. And that's all I, you need. Uh, I'm glad you said that because I've been saying it could be as simple as walking. 20, 30 minutes a day getting out there in the sun. So I'm glad you said that. So you walk your dog and, and then what? Uh, I take a lot of vitamins and I, I do what, you know, what, it, what old people are supposed to do. Uh, but my daughter-in-law's got me on bee pollen now. And uh, that stuff works really well. It gives you, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of stuff. And, and I, I admire bees anyway. I mean, it's just pretty Don't cool. All Masons, aren't all Masons supposed to admire bees in the beehive? <laughs> Yeah. but and so i uh i had to take their, that bee pollen every day and it uh, seems to help gives me energy because i'm pretty busy all you know i'm really really busy and uh but you know i appreciate you uh doing what you're doing i uh, really you know appreciate you know the trivium groups that you put together and i'm glad that you're keeping that going it kind of right, reminds me of one of my heroes back in the 70s and as uh henry kissinger okay uh, yeah uh, you, you guys probably know oh yeah i know heard, heard of him yes i know uh, but to me he was like the ultimate negotiator uh he I, I learned a lot from him i learned a lot you know how to how to do things and how to uh you don't always get what you want but you get something that will work for you and that's what you know i learned a lot from watching him and and reading about him things like that and also lee iacocca and you know a few of those guys they they were failures you know before they were success so that's what that's what the trivium reminds me of you said it they you know the guys opened up but one of the things you didn't say is that those there's at least a half a dozen guys brings dictionaries with them and oh, yes. the dictionaries okay. the dictionaries range i noticed from like the 1800s yes. all the way up to current 1880 and and uh it was what was really cool is is each person could sit there and talk about what they were what they were thinking about and what their definition of that word that you were talking about and this is what they got out of it and by the time it got to the 21st century the whole thing was turned around opposite completely opposite of what you know and it was but it was all negotiating and and making the other person feel like, okay, this is what way, way we think it is. This is what you think it is. Let's take your part, take part of my part of yours and say, that's what remind me of the trivium remind me of negotiating. And, and what Jim is talking about is that the reason why we have dictionaries ranging from the 1880s all the way up to uh, the present is because we realize that, that a lot of times some of the meanings of the words have changed. So you can be using a word right now, but it's teaching us to say, okay, when you use that word, what do you mean by that? Okay, let's go to the dictionary and let's see what it said back in 1880. And is it the same definition as it is now? 
because that's part of the confusion that's happening now. These politicians that are masters of rhetoric, these uh, the guys on the on the pulpit that are masters of rhetoric, they're using these words in such a way and in, and in such a combination that they they're basically casting a spell on you and they're confusing you. So we use the trivium to help us dispel that and get and seek truth, whatever that truth may be. And it's a great exercise. So, um, well, at you, this, you, yes, sir. You went full circle. Yeah. You went from the trivium, getting to the truth, to the bottom of things, no matter what it may be, no matter what the word may be, all the way back to the first degree that we first started talking about. Isn't that something? The truth. So, you know, that's the foundation of that. Uh, the trivium is the truth, getting to the truth. That's the foundation of it. It is. It is. It's grammar, logic, and rhetoric, but we use it to get to the truth. And you will be surprised at some of the things that we end up uncovering. And you will be stunned at some of the uh, just genius thoughts that people have. We're all capable of it. And that's why we practice it. We're all capable of this, these, these uh, self-discoveries. And, but then when you put it in a group and a mastermind, you know, a system type, type deal, then you really take off and you get to some serious conversations. So, um, Jim, it's been a, it's been a great yeah. conversation. Do you have anything to share with, with the guys before we uh, wrap this up? No, I just wanted to, uh, I think we've covered most of the things that I've talked about. I, uh, you guys, maybe at some point in time, I can tell you how masonry helped me get through some hardships in my life, which I, I lost my daughter in 2015. Uh, she's 42 years old, a drug overdose sitting at home one Saturday morning. Uh, yeah, I know you remember. Yeah. You were you were very uh, uh, helpful in getting me through that. And uh, now I lost my wife in 2017. And I can tell you, Grand Lodge stood behind me like 120%. They absolutely said, no, you do whatever you need to do, take off. You know, if you need to take off a year or two years, you do whatever you need to do to get done. And the guys at the lodge has done the same thing. So um, you, I just want everybody to understand that when you build relationships like that, it's invaluable. You can't put a price on what I have uh, from what, I've, what I have cultivated in the Masonic family is more than anyone could ever possibly put a price on period you can't buy what i have and basically what you have you know you you need to you think about that all you guys think about what you have and how could you how could you replace that you cannot you cannot do it so i don't think there's a better way of closing that you know this <laughs> this uh episode than than that right there Except this, Thank this you. way, except this way. There's only one, and that is acknowledging you, uh, Jim. I'd like to acknowledge you right now for your years of service as a Grand Lodge uh, officer, uh, as a representative down here in our district, 830th district. Uh, you've done a, you know, a tremendous job with all the challenges that all the lodges have had. But even besides that, you know, being open to uh, being available as much as you were. Uh, throughout these years for all of us, whether it's a Masonic related or as a friend, as a mentor and um, going through all that you just went through some of what you just shared with us right now. I'd like to acknowledge you 
And, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for even some of the, you know, uh, um, brick upside my head that I needed sometimes from you. Uh, don't, don't, don't think I, you know, it was, may, might've been subtle, but don't think I didn't know that that's what it was. So thank you for that. You're, you're more than welcome. It's been my honor to do, to be work with you guys and, and it still will be. I'm still, I'm still around. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to help my, uh, I'll be able to repay some of you guys for what you've done for me. That's all. And that's, that's what I live for. Well, well thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for letting me be on the show. And uh, hopefully you won't lose too many class because of this uh, conversation. <laughs> no, I hope, I hope uh, because of the honesty and the, uh, you know, just uh, coming forward and, and just speaking your mind, I hope uh, most people appreciate that or if not all of them. And I would love to have you back on the show in the near future. And they will go to part two. And we'll discuss some more stuff. I'll figure out some more questions uh, and we'll, we'll get into it. Cause who knows if we shut down again, there's going to be a whole lot to talk about. So, uh, you know, believe me. And uh, it's not going to be the negative part. It's going to be what opportunities are out there for us. Yeah. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for getting the, your message out there. And thank you for uh, relating to the Masonic muscle. Uh, not only, you know, the, physical muscle but the mental muscle that that we have to share together i thank you for that it's a great idea great thing to do so keep it up you're welcome you're welcome and uh, this has been masonic muscle this has been another very strenuous exercise with jim ridley as far as uh, critical thinking and speculation thank you for coming <laughs>